1: Up, let your wives rise up. See the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get. Hot Bill and rise up when rise famine up. claims up. millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up
2: no rise matter, up. matter if the prize is and welcome a... to new abolitionist radio on the black talk radio network a program that seeks to educate inform and agitate on An the issue of 21st century legalized slavery hosted by social activist and spoken word poet max harthas with black talk media project founder scotty reed and west coast based abolitionist and activist leila aziz on this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution along with projects and people who help combat it. Remember, as of 2000... Uh,
0: Unfortunately, we just lost Max. Uh, Max says that he keeps getting booted And I don't know why he's being booted. Maybe I need to get rid of one of these unknown lurkers that's hanging out in the conference line. So let's see if we can get Max back. But again, you are tuned in to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, Y'all bear with me as I attempt to get Max back on the line. I I just got a sneaky feeling that Max is still (laughs) going through his um, intro and not realizing that he's not online. It might be better if I text him. So uh, let me just go over some of the stuff so that there's no pause in the programming. Let me just uh, pull up what was posted today in btrcommunity.com where we have the group The Abolitionists and that is where we do much of the planning for the weekly program New Abolitionists Radio um, Max, any anytime, just let me know you're there. I'm actually trying to pull up the stuff right now. Uh, let me uh, check the board and see if we have Max back. No, we don't have Max back. Uh, we do have a caller from 803. I'm not sure if that's Max, though. I don't think so. He was calling in from his computer. So let me get to the... New Abolitionist Radio planning page for January the 10th, 2018. And I will go through his description for tonight's program. Again, as Max mentioned, you are tuned in to our January 10th, 2018 broadcast. This is the sixth season of... New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network. And on this day in 1811, the German Coast Rebellion of enslaved Africans occurred. In the end, over 400 enslaved people were forced back into bondage in New Orleans. Approximately 66 were killed in their heads barbarically barbarically strung up along the roads of the city. I remember reading uh, something about that some time ago. Also on today's date, Florida succeeded from the Union in 1861, and London's Underground Metropolitan Railway began operations in 1863. Tonight, our abolitionist in profile is... Sherrod Leary Lewis, 1835 to 1859. Leary was one of several black men killed during John Brown's raid on the Harper's Ferry Arsenal in October of 1859. It was a defining moment in African-American history. In the segment, a history of rebellion for freedom's sake. We remember the Creole case of 1841. The result When victims of American slavery revolted in November of 1841 on board the Creole, a ship which was involved in the U.S. slave trade. Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Craig Coley, 70 years old, who was wrongly convicted of the 1978 double murder of a woman and her child. In November of 2017, he was released from prison on the basis of DNA evidence and was pardoned by California Governor Jerry Brown in Simi Valley, California. As usual, we will dissect and disseminate current news and events related to 13th Amendment slavery from the perspective of abolitionists. Uh, Let me see if we have Max uh, back with us. Okay, there's Max. Hey, can you hear me there, Scotty? Yeah, I can hear you now. I just got, man, got through our intro. I did
2: the intro. whole intro and didn't even know I was, wasn't was even on anymore. I got keep getting booted off for some reason from the uh, Uber Conference call site.
0: Well, I'll try to keep an eye on that. Um, sorry about that. But I just got through our intro Good. for the program. So what's up with you tonight, Max? Oh, man, uh, as always, same thing. <laughs> Pinky in the brain, right? <laughs> Trying they, to change they, the world
2: and wake up our brothers and sisters to the circumstances that they really deal with. So we can finally actually address the root causes of our issues and solve a lot of these problems that we spend way too much of our time concerned with rather than addressing the root concerns. And those root concerns, of course, as you know, being modern day slavery and human trafficking.
0: Well, as there is every week, there is a lot of news to share, a lot of news stories yeah. Um, that we try to share with people. We're not able to share them all on air because there's no way we could share all these stories on air in two hours. But we do have, as I mentioned earlier, the Abolitionist Group, which is in btrcommunity.com. If you're not a member and you listen to this network, shame on you. I'm just going to say shame, 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 shame. Because, you know, we need to fund this this network. We've been operating for nine years on minimum, minimum contributions from the listening public. I mean, so we have this fundraiser, 5,000-member goal for BTR Community, where you can participate in the discussions on modern-day slavery right there in BTRCommunity.com. I mean, because we have more than 5,000 people who tune in every month to the program because we see the stats. Uh, Max?
2: yeah i'm with you 100 percent, brother i mean if everybody even if you don't even use it just get an account you know what i mean contribute to this institution that we're building everything doesn't have to be another social media like twitter and facebook you can use the uh our media as well our social network as well and uh it doesn't have facebook jail i know everybody will love that there is no facebook jail going on
0: <laughs> yeah but, and, Scottie, and, and Scottie, we, can't, we can't expect I mean, we're powering these other social networks to the tune of billions a year, that they're worth billions a year. So why not participate in this is something that's going to go towards funding our freedom and ending 21st century slavery?
2: Is Sister Layla Z he here today?
0: Um, I do not see her on the board, Max. OK. All right. Well, if you see her, just bring her in. We miss her. <laughs> she just got started. Uh, anyway
2: scotty i had an interesting day yesterday brother Uh, i talked to you a little bit about it on the phone but i have a friend of mine uh that i would
0: okay again i hope this isn't a, a going to be a thing we might have to get max to call in from his phone uh because his internet keeps going out that's that's what's going on there that's your internet connection uh, max and I have no way to dial you on your computer although um, it will dial your phone might have to get max in on on a uh, phone line let me see if I can go ahead and have uber conference call him because I suspect he doesn't even know. <laughs> that he's no longer on air. So again, greetings to everyone, to all the abolitionists worldwide. So glad that you all could join us. And uh shout-out to those who may be listening from our new platform, newabolitionismovement.com. That's newabolitionismovement.com. It's bare bones in terms of content right now, um, but we hope to develop that platform over uh, the next year. I know Max was about to speak on... Um, he was talking to some pastors. He was invited to an event um, in Atlanta, and it was a lot of black uh, church members. Max, is that you? Do we have you back? Uh, let me see if this is Max. Max, is that you on the phone? Yes, sir. Can you hear me now? Yes, I was going yeah, to. Sit I don't. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about this being
2: booted off the network over and over again. That's uh.
0: Strengths. Yeah, I think that's your um, internet ISP provider and what have you, but we have you loud and clear on the phone. So I was just telling everyone about the brief conversation we had where you went to an event in Atlanta, in Atlanta and some people who, who are part of an organization that historically played a big role in pre-1865 slavery and bringing relief, but the Black Church And unfortunately, the black church has not lived up to its abolitionist um, mission here on this continent. So, Max, did you want to go into that?
2: Well, yeah, I think I was trying to explain it before. I don't know where I got cut off of, but I've been on uh, this brother's program a few times. It's a Christian program, and he has ministers, pastors come on. So this was an all-pastor and minister and bishop panel discussing Uh, the topic is TV, a true representation of black America. So I did a lot of my research and I came in, you know me, I'll come in prepared. I want to know the statistics and the truth and the facts. I don't want to talk about how I feel or what I think. I need to know what the actual reality of circumstances is. And I found out some very interesting things, which I shared on that program. But one of the things that I find very disheartening when discussing this issue of slavery with the black church and representatives of the black church, historically speaking, I've been trying now for years, is that it goes in one ear and comes out the other, like literally, like I've had this brother on the air last night said, you know, in certain words, you're right, this is slavery, is it being practiced? You're right, and, and and agreed with me in every sense of the word, and then went on to another topic, like he hadn't just said that. And it just seems difficult also, when I, I hear these brothers and sisters start using victim blaming in their conversations. Everything is our fault. If we just pull up our pants, if we just changed our music, if we just changed our language, uh, we wouldn't go to prisons. But, you know, you and I sit on this program every week, and we talk about how uh, upstanding people who have never done a single thing still get arrested, still get shot. There's nothing you can do. There's no suit you can put on that will protect you from what's going on out there. And the statistics are clear. You know,
0: yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was watching Yvette Carnell of uh, Breaking Brown's last uh episode talking about Oprah Winfrey. Uh I think the title was Oprah Winfrey, White Feminism Does Not Equal Black Oppression. And and so I'm glad that she did mention in that broadcast that slavery was never abolished because I've been trying to get her and Antonio Moore to speak on that for quite some time. But um I was kind of mixed up on what I was about to say, but I did an interview um with someone last night and the guy who does the advice show. That's the show I meant to speak on, the advice show. It's a brother out of, I'm not sure where he's from. He might be from Houston, he might be from Dallas, but it's the Advice Show. And he he does a news uh broadcast talking on different stories and whatnot. So he's talking about the story about um, the guys who are part of the gun club groups down there in the Dallas area. And so he reported on the story, he reported on the story accurately, but at the end of the day, at the end of the video... Horror. He mentioned that, hey, the way that we can defeat this thing, the way we can get over or or get ahead is to put on a suit. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, and so, you know, my guest last night mentioned how disappointed she was in that, that people think that if you put on a suit, all of a sudden you're going to transform into a white privileged male in this society because you know I've seen plenty of people in suits get arrested and go to go to uh prison slavery and whatnot. So that's sad, and that's something that's not unique um to uh black Christians. It, it, it's just a group of people. Um uh, I mentioned Oprah Winfrey, yeah. Oprah Winfrey, Yvette Carnell had pulled up some comments Oprah Winfrey had made. And she made similar comments. She she was victim blaming and saying, if we just do this, that, and the other, look at me, I, I got ahead, you can get ahead too, and, and all that kind of garbage. So I feel your frustration. Um, that does seem to be a, a I'm not going to say a prevalent thought in the black community, but it is a thought.
2: Yes. Uh, and-, and often in these conversations I have with the brothers who represent the black church, they don't uh, consider enough the circumstances that create the conditions that they're complaining about. And sometimes they even go over with their general statements, like in the last one where I discussed with, this, uh, with a group similar, uh, one of the brothers was saying, and, and we talked about it on air, that when black people get money, all they do is go out and buy liquor stores or go to strip clubs or get fancy cars. I'm like, how can you even say some stuff like that? Like, who are you around that you see that happening all the time? So it's really their their, their mindset is filled with these stereotypes about themselves and they reflect that in their conversation i think the best way to do is show what happened at the conversation yesterday is to play a clip that i've I've made available from it it's about four or five minute clip and uh, maybe we can discuss what we hear afterwards what do you think
0: um sure where is the clip
2: i I put it on new abolitionist radio on facebook it's also on the planning stage but it'd probably be easier to find it on Facebook's new Yeah, I'm
0: trying to stay off of Facebook Because Facebook likes to lock up my computer It uses a lot of my browser resources So if it's in the planning planning group What is it? The cost of living Or or which Real one of these clips? Real men being men
2: Is TV a true representation of black America? Clip uh, That's the title Real men being men Is TV a true representation of okay, black I America? clip I have
0: the clip, clip. clip. Alright, let's give it a listen
3: Let's go to uh, uh, Max. What's up your heart right now? You've been quiet for a minute. Yes, sir. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh-huh.
2: Well, uh, there's a lot of
3: misconception
2: going on in this conversation right here. misunderstanding, And I'm going to try to address just two of them. The first one is we overestimate our contribution to the propagation of this type of media yes. and music that is going mm-hmm. on. Us. I remember when J.D. did an interview and he's been in the music industry for like 30 years. And he said that everything after 750,000 units is white people purchasing. <laughs> so when you hear about these songs going multi-platinum and millions of purchases, that's not all black people buying it. That's predominantly mm-hmm. white people buying mm-hmm. that music. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they want. Because they want us to seem that way, to sound that way. I'm familiar with a lot of positive artists, and I promote a lot of positive artists, but you don't see them on Clear Channel. You don't hear them on the radio stations which are owned and operated by white media. What they want to hear is us acting a fool, us doing what they think we are all about. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. So our contribution to this is being overestimated. We are not responsible for these radio stations playing this on the air, because we don't own these radio stations. I don't know if, I don't know if anybody else on this program right now who actually uh, provides content for an all-black radio station. But I am one of them. i the Black Talk Radio Network, and that's what we provide. The other thing was, when we talked about the prison industry and modern-day slavery, and Brother said, you know, none of my people are in prison. I ain't never been in prison. Does that mean that it's not a problem for you?
4: Oh, did you say that? Are
2: concerned with it? That we have to, let me finish, that we have to explain to our children that one out of three of them are going to end up in prison. That is everybody's problem. We're looking at it right now with the Department of Justice and the head of the Department of Justice, who is a normal white racist supremacist who has decided to start prosecuting people for marijuana all over again. And we're talking about 800,000 arrests a year. Predominantly on people of color. That is modern day slavery. You're criminalizing people's lifestyles mm. and putting them in these jails and for profit because the prison systems themselves create an economic boom for white, racist uh, communities. You'll see these prisons are all in these rural areas, predominantly filled with black people coming out of the inner city. Those are two things that I just want to touch on. One, don't overestimate our contribution to what is being perpetrated on these airways mm-hmm. And two, the prison system is everybody's problem. Everybody's
4: problem. Doc, you want to respond? Absolutely. One, the first thing that I said, the the, the prerequisite of my statement was. I understand your struggle. And to give him respect as an activist of this particular area, mm-hmm. we understand that that's that's problem. And there are, and I can bring another five more other activists who are in their paradox, believing that their cause is just as important and is our problem with that particular cause. So it's not that we are de minimizing or devaluing the cause of the prison or cause of slavery, what we're simply saying is you can't speak absolute. Everybody that's not everybody's world. And and that's and, and there are some black Americans who don't even understand it or know that because that's never been in their, their particular world and how we change that or how we even though okay we get all those statistics we understand that this is a problem okay so what's the solution mm-hmm. so let's start talking about the solution and then advocating those solutions mm-hmm. one of the things I'm saying one of the solution is is going back to the black family mm-hmm. going back to home fathers, teach your children and show them a better way that they don't make a choice to sell this particular drug because you showed them how to be entrepreneurs Show them other and, and then not only tell them but show them yourself. Mm-hmm. Show them yourself. That's what I'm doing. And I can only talk about my house. Exactly. I can't talk exactly. about everybody yeah. else's yeah. house. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about my, my house. And yeah. exactly. in my house, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't go to a nine-to-five. Mm-hmm. I feed my family by the business that God gave me and I started. Mm-hmm. And I'm teaching my children a legacy and I'm doing it. My son, hey, my son is special need. He used to have 22 seizures a day when diagnosed with epilepsy. So, and now at 18 going on 19 on February 26, he cannot go out and get a job. But I thank God that he works for my company and he got his first check yes. and was able to buy his family Christmas gift based off of a business his daddy started that will soon be his and his sisters. So, and leaving that legacy for our children, that's their world. And there's more... African-American families that have that same kind of testimony. Do we want more? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We want more. But that is the kind of thing that we need to say on platforms like that so we can encourage these fathers, encourage these parents to pour into our children that when they become our age, they got a fighting chance. Good deal,
0: good deal. Max, that's the end of the clip.
2: Yes, can you
0: hear me? Yes, I hear you, Max. I have a few comments. Well, they have it. Yeah, I have a few comments. Uh, Two, <laughs> the issue with his son having, what did he say, about 100 seizures a day? 20 seizures a day, yeah. 20 seizures a day. Well, a big part of the community to legalize cannabis, uh, weed, whatever you want to call it, is the parents of epileptic children. As... The medical data is there that shows that cannabis, uh, specifically cannibal, can how do you say that, uh, cannabis oils, cannibal. you know, yeah. yeah, those cannabis oils where it just take a drop on the tongue or whatnot, I've seen the documentaries on it, and, and the medical evidence that it alleviates uh, seizures is undisputable, so um, I would recommend that if his son is still having those seizures, is that uh, perhaps, you know, he he gets some cannabis and let that young man uh, get some holistic healing from that plant that God has given us. Uh, The other thing is, you know, that's the bootstrap. Pull them up by the bootstrap mentality that has been programmed into a lot of people. The answer to slavery and racism and white supremacy in this country is not black capitalism. Do Does Black Talk Radio Network support black business entrepreneurs? Certainly we do. We have blacks in business that come on every Thursday night. So we are in that space and providing programming for entrepreneurs to discuss the challenges that they face, find resources, and and to be able to network with each other. But at the end of the day, we all can't be uh, capitalist millionaires. It, it just doesn't work like that uh um, again, you know, here I am running a black business, even if it's a nonprofit, for nine years in the most money we have gotten pulled in, either through the services that we offer, like the podcasting services, the digital radio station services. And then in addition to the uh, financial contributions, you know, I put a list together um, as um, I'm preparing some reports and it's just pitiful that we can pull up. December stats and see 60,000 individuals, 60,000 individuals tuned in to programming on Black Talk Radio Network, yet about 176 at my last count today uh, had donated. You know, at any time during 2017 or 2016, Um, that number goes up a little higher when we talk about our uh, fundraiser for us to go on that trip to Washington, D.C. That pushes us up to about 300. But those were just one time uh, donations, uh, not from people who regularly listen to Black Talk Radio Network. So there are plenty of business challenges out there. We can talk about opportunity all day long, but if we're not acknowledging the racism... In capitalism and how it's hard for a black business startup to get capital from these people to to start these businesses, because most of the businesses that start in the black community don't even have employees. they are one or two people, one, two, three or four or four people. But we all can't be business owners. We just simply can't. Some people don't have the academic Uh, background for that all of all of us you know we have different skills in different areas so that is not a realistic solution if we're going to address getting people out of slavery because you know what you can have there are plenty of people who had jobs who had their own businesses and then found themselves stopped by a slave catcher and got set up on some drug charges or may have lost their life even so for anybody to think that a black business is going to insulate you from what's going on in this world it's, it''s it's just sadly mistaken and then I'm gonna speak to the Christian aspect because these are supposed to be Christians right so when you talk about you and yours in in your household and all yeah, we got to start at home but as a Christian, I believe that your mandate is to set the captives free. And we ain't just talking about spiritually either and converting somebody to a religion. We're literally talking about captives in prison. You know, uh, uh, people say, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would not be sitting up here talking about, well, let's start, you know, we need to focus on black capitalism and that'll keep us out of slavery. When capitalism, slavery is the foundation of capitalism. It's all about exporting somebody's labor, whether that labor is captive on a prison plantation or whether that labor is captive on a corporate plantation. Because I I don't know about him, but a lot of black people, including myself, did not get paid uh, equally compared to white people, including uh, white women. So, again, you know, um, I, I just challenge anyone out there. I mean, to me, this is the number one issue. If it ain't slavery, then tell me what it is. You might say white supremacy. Well, white supremacy is a tool that they use to focus slavery on black people. So we're still coming back to slavery. So, Max, I understand. Your frustration, I get frustrated frustrated too, but we just have to have the dialogue and come back at them, you know, as a, as, as a business owner. I wonder who he's doing business with. Is he putting, is is his business account with Wells Fargo, second largest investor in private prison slavery? Is it with Bank of America? I don't know if they're number one, but they have investments in prison slavery. There are six major banks who underwrite Private prisons. Without these banks, private prisons wouldn't exist and wouldn't be able to carry out their day-to-day uh, organization or uh, uh, activities. So that's my question to black business owners. My question to black churches or any religious institution. You're taking this money in from the people, but are you then allowing our oppressors to use that money for our oppression? But we do have a call, Max. I want to give this caller a chance to jump in. We got a call from area code 702. Thank you for calling in the new abolitionist radio. If you want to share your name, please do that. And go ahead with your question or comment.
5: Hello, this is Red in Nevada. Um, I'm hearing an echo. I'm sorry, I think it went away. Um, I just wanted to just say how appreciative I am of the show. And um, just to comment about the religious aspect of it, because I was actually thinking, well, um, Mr. Reed just said, like, it, are these pastors, are they, you know, claiming the 501c status? And I feel like um, Scotty did speak about it um, on a previous, ep- on a, you know, some, a previous show, maybe it might have been like a BTR news um, show, but it, I feel like it's definitely made me think differently about the church. And then also, um, just with like referring to the capitalism part of it, I know um person- I know people personally who like um it was like some years back with Bank of America they actually had to pay um they actually had to do a settlement with black people because black people with the same um credit score and credentials. As white people, um, they would still decline them. I think it might have been for home loans. I'm not sure if it was also for like home mortgages, but I'm not sure if it was also for businesses as well. So it, it that just doesn't you know make sense as far as what that that pastor was saying, and it definitely makes you think of what what their true intentions are. You can't just it it, it I don't know. It, it was just um, I don't. I really appreciate the clip, and I really appreciate Max. You know still trying to bring that side that you know you just can't always go back to the black family for everything, yes, we should try, but this whole fallacy of bootstraps you know pulling up yourself by your bootstraps that that doesn't even make sense with um I know I recently did some research uh, by the um about the book by um the Nation of Islam um, I think it's something to do with white wealth. I can't remember the the exact title. But it's basically, you know, just explaining that, that's a flawed uh, sense. So I, I just wanted to um, make that comment. Thank you, and I'll mute my line. Thank, Thank you me. very
2: much for the contribution. Yes. I, I shared the link of what you were talking about in regards to Bank of America settling um, a racial discrimination case that dated back to the nation's bank days. Well, Fargo as well.
0: Wells Fargo has done the same name a a major bank that has not been involved in in racism and practicing racist capitalism or involved in slavery Wells Fargo dates back before 1865 they were founded in 1850 And, and definitely they have always been involved in the slave trade as they were then and are today so you know
2: You hit the nail on the head about the capitalism that he was uh, presenting there. But also, I want to point out that his comments was in reply to what I had just said on that uh, tape earlier in the program. He had said uh, along the lines of, "I ain't in prison. I haven't been to prison. You've been to prison? No, you ain't. Nobody, my family's been to prison." And it just struck me as he was bragging about that. Like you know, I have. I think he's lying. I think he's lying. I think (laughs) he's lying. If you just do this, what I did, nobody will ever go to prison. And yeah, I know so whatever. much different. You know what I mean? We all know that that's not how it works. Like, you could just be seatbelted in your car next to your girlfriend with your daughter in the back seat and still get shot to death.
0: Listen, man.
2: You and get shot. I
0: know? don't believe that. I don't want to accuse the pastor of lying, but I don't believe that. He got a cousin, he got an uncle, he got an aunt, he got somebody. <laughs> Who is blood relations Who have either found themselves in jail Or found themselves in prison See again this goes back to people Claiming to, to Practice certain things And I don't want to get into religion Because that's just not me But you have a very selfish viewpoint For you to claim that You're following the teachings Of, of that Jesus Christ is found In the Bible When you seem to only be cared about What happens Uh, to you. Now, again, you know, um, I I try to have patience with people. That's number one, because people have been programmed with all different types of programming. And unfortunately, that bootstrap mentality is something that has been programmed into quite a few uh, number of black people. But I don't believe for a minute that he doesn't know anyone who's been to prison or jail. Hell, I've never been to prison except to visit I've been in jail a couple of times. I've never spent more than maybe what twenty-four hours in a jail, if that. But if I'm going off of that criteria, then I shouldn't be an abolitionist, then, right? Because it ain't affected me that way.
2: You had a brother who was a Yeah, person. I had a brother, 12
0: years, I mean, 10 years a slave in, in the state of North Carolina, had him working on a turkey farm, processing right. turkeys and what have you. I got other cousins that have been to prison, and we don't live in a predominantly black, what they call a, a city. We don't live in a city. We live in a country. We don't live in a high crime area or, or anything like that. Um, in my brother's case, he got framed for breaking in this white man's trailer and he didn't do it. And and he he didn't do it. And he had an all-white jury without any evidence, no recovered, stolen property, no fingerprints, no evidence, just this white man saying, my brother broke into his house and stole some of his property. Okay, well, where is it at? How do we know you even had any property? But an all-white jury sent my brother to prison for 10 years. So, you know. And there's
2: uh, three points that I wanted to make about you. Uh that clip and, and the whole program in, in general on, on one of them. one you were right, when you said selfish, I felt that when I kept hearing, I'm going to get from mine, mine going to have this, and we going to do this, and I build that, and this is what my people have, you know, thinking that this is going to protect you from the statistics, and you may get away with it for a while, but sooner or later, it, it's going to hit home to somebody you love. In any case, that was a very so- selfish way of saying it, like, you know, all I got to do is secure for me. And it sounded like the bougie, uh, talented temp type of thinking. You know what I mean? All I got to do is establish mine, and my legacy will be built, and I ain't worried about you guys. You do what I'm doing. And if you can't, sound like a personal problem. So that was the first thing. And the other thing was the victim blaming mentality, where you could hear in, in part of that conversation where he automatically assumed that everybody in these prisons are guilty, that everybody's being arrested did something worth being arrested for even to the point where he was like you know what we got to tell them not to be selling that stuff in our communities and he was talking about like know, marijuana but how many states have legalized marijuana and you got these white billionaires selling it in Oakland they're, they're telling black people look we'll put you in line first to buy this industry to be a part of this industry as uh, reparations for what we have but, done. But Max. Over. The so, fallacy
0: though, the fallacy yeah, is, is that the majority of people who are in prison for nonviolent victimless crimes are not in there for selling drugs. And and if they were, right. if they were, you know, guess what? I will sell some dope. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna be honest with y'all. If I'm out here homeless, if I'm facing eviction, if I can't eat. Every day, If I don't have no clothes on my back, I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do to survive. That's just that survival instinct. And he's not recognizing that the system is set up to put us in a position where that is one of the few options that we have is to participate in the street market. I didn't sell bootleg Jordans. I didn't other bootleg clothes, bootleg DVDs. Just doing what I could to get by, man, so I wouldn't be homeless and, and hungry. So, I, you know, I don't stand in judgment of anybody out there doing anything. The only problem I have is is when they force their will upon another person, or they sell the kids or stuff like that, and, and you harming other individuals. Outside of that, long as you're dealing with grown folks, I, hey, I'm I am not. It is not my concern. Uh, how you feed feed yourself or clothe yourself or house yourself. I'm recognizing that there are millions of homeless people in this country, and they'll do whatever they need to do to get off the street.
2: You know, I, I appreciate uh, my brother Raheem Hashimi for inviting me to be a part of that conversation, and I talked to him after the program about how I felt, just like I'm talking about it on the air now. So he already knows, and he he's with me on it. He's like, Max, that's why I brought you in, to bring some sense to all of this, so Maybe they can get a clue And in the future he said he plans on putting together A panel discussion with the pastors On the single topic of whether or not America is still practicing Slavery or not I mean, It needs to be talked about amongst the clergy And he's going to facilitate that One of the things that did disappoint me And I think I mentioned it earlier in the program Is throughout the whole thing Most of the people were saying We want solutions Well let's talk about what we need to do and throughout it, I was offering him the solution, like, we need to end slavery. You can't do nothing else. You ain't going to have no rights. You ain't going to have no protections. Nothing you do matters until you end slavery, because there is nothing you can build, nothing you can make, nothing you can plant that they cannot take from you any time they feel like it. Like, it's just that simple. You don't have any rights as long as slavery is being practiced legally. And that just went through one ear and out the other. So. I said that on more than uh, a few occasions, and even after I said it on each occasion, it was like, well, let's talk about solutions. Like, didn't I just offer you one? Like, don't you even want to talk about it? Isn't it even on your mind? And then when the one brother sat there, and on video, you'll see him, he's like, you're right. Is slavery being practiced? Yes. Is it race-based? Yes. I mean, he just quoted everything that I was saying, and then went on to another topic. I was like, oh, my God. Like, where is... Dude, cognitive business is painful to watch, not just experience, just it's painful to watch it happen when, you know, you just can't seem to hold that thought in your head. So, yeah, that was disappointing for me. I appreciate the opportunity for these brothers to get together and us to have these kind of conversations but they were talking about how do we get the, to, through to people about discussing what the media is doing, and I was thinking I can't even get through to you about abolition, and you wanna know how to get through to people about something else.
0: Scotty? Yeah, uh, yeah, Max, I'm here. Um, again, I'm I'm learning, I have to practice patience, um, I have to also, and this is just, I'm not saying this about anybody else. I'm saying this about me, by my own personal growth and self-reflection. Is I had to practice more patience with people like that because, like Malcolm X said, Malcolm X said it best. He said, don't be quick to condemn someone who doesn't think as you think or know what you know because at one time you didn't know yourself. And we are dealing with a lifetime of programming of people being yep. told that slavery was abolished, Lincoln freed the slaves and all this good stuff. And and, and and it's just completely untrue. But every day of their lives, they probably have come across media, maybe not every day, but come across media that reinforces that lie. So we have we have 150 years worth of lies to get through and it's not always easy so we do have to practice i'm talking about myself let me stop saying we i have to practice more patient with these people i have to refine my arguments so that when you ask me for a solution, I can come off with the top of my head, well, you're a pastor. How many people do you have at your church? Well, you think, you know, how much uh, uh, money from the people are you taking in in ties of offerings? After you take that in, where do you put that money on deposit? Because, you know, there is a divestment campaign. And if you're in, if you're taking the people's money and putting it on deposit with, with X, Y, and Z bank, and we can show you that they're invested in Uh, uh, modern day slavery and human trafficking. Well, a solution uh, towards that goal that you can do is remove your, find you a, a, well, how can I put this? Find you a bank that does not invest in slavery. It's that easy. I mean, the black church, just the black church, not even talking about the mosque and these other institutions and whatnot, but the black church, I think I read one year that they might generate $6 billion dollars a year uh, from donations from their congregations. That's a whole lot of money that could be divested. Follow the lead of these college students who have been getting college university systems to divest. So, you know, we just had to refine our arguments and practice patience, but at the same time, though, we have to bluntly speak the truth as well.
2: According to the articles that I've seen In the last thirty years, the black churches have collected four hundred and twenty billion dollars. That's a shocking number. Four hundred and twenty billion in the last thirty years. Do you know what we could have did with that as far as improving the conditions that we have on our own without anybody else's help? We could have did it with four hundred and thirty billion dollars.
0: Well, Max, was there anything else you wanted to touch upon from that clip? If not, I would love to get into some of these stories because, you know, we've had some uh, um, story. Well, there's always something coming out, but there was a couple of stories that caught my eye. One of to things, share?
2: Scotty, yeah. and that is about you. Uh, Brother Raheem said that he's going to set up in the next couple of weeks another panel discussion with the pastors and the ministers and uh, and so on and include me, and the topic will be about modern-day slavery and human trafficking, the 13th Amendment. and I uh, requested that I bring someone else, a plus one, to come in and talk uh, as an abolitionist, and that would be you. So if you'd be willing, I'll let you know what the uh, time will try to arrange it around your schedule, if possible.
0: Well, I will never turn down an invitation to talk about abolitionism.
2: All right, perfect. So, I'll uh, contact him and we'll set something up so we can sit down and, and talk with these brothers who represent the black church and see if we can get them on our side because they are not going to be the first on our side. They should have been, but they are not going to be. What, you know, the what, Quakers have already gotten behind us and uh, the uh, what do they call them, the Universalists have gotten behind us and several others. So they're kinda late to the game, but we need them. We really do yeah, need them. Yeah, think we no, 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 the no,
0: no, 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 a Reverend uh, Ajabu. Um, am I saying his name correctly? You know, he was one of, I think he might have been the first person to run for Congress on the abolitionist platform. Uh, where was yes. he based at? In Indianapolis since 1865. He was the first person to run for Congress. He didn't win. Yeah. But he's a, he's a part of the black church. So, you know, I'm just, I'm talking to the listening audience. We have to stop dealing in generalizations I know all of us don't do it but those who do we want to say the black church is the cause of this or the cause of that or we want to say the nation of Islam you know, they ain't doing what they supposed to do but you know, we we cannot deal in generalizations like that. We're dealing with individuals who are making decisions to to look the other way and choose not to get involved. But you know, we have people from all walks of life who call themselves abolitionists.
2: Yes, yeah, so Lawrence News is a pastor out in Providence, Rhode Island, and his uh, congregation. Is primarily the homeless, and every Sunday he goes out there, and he's an abolitionist, and he he uh, gives them the information that is required. So I guess I got to apologize to Brother Lawrence Noons that he is certainly an abolitionist, but there are so few when it comes in uh, to the black church that it is uh, unsettling. So, with that being said, Scott, you said you had some stories that you wanted to make sure you yeah, covered tonight, so before. I guess we can move on to those.
0: Before I jump into two stories I wanted to share, we have a caller from area code 757. Thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead with your name, uh, question, or comment.
3: Hello, Scotty and Max. It's Otis.
2: Greetings,
3: Otis. Yeah, I just wanted to interject something with what Max was saying because he put it, that clip up and I watched the whole thing. I just want to say I, this harkens back to what I've been interjecting every time I try to call in. The hardest part about getting the religious community or churches involved is the majority of them tend to set themselves apart from the community with this very same thing that you saw exhibited in that video. But for my actions, I can control what's happened to me. And, and one of the ways I've been combating it when I talk to my pastor here locally and, and others is you really got to sew the thread with them on the stuff we share, like with the chicken farm and stuff that actually use religion to suck people in. You have to show them those things. So so I think when you go armed, uh to your next show with them, you're going to have to put that before them and show them how religion has been used to further the private prison business under the guise of doing uh, saving work and stuff like that, like the chicken farm and stuff, these are. Because most of them really don't understand how uh, in, in, entangled the politicians are. They don't understand the amount of money that's in it. Some of them, even my local pastor, does his, his jailhouse ministry and stuff, and he doesn't even understand how that's used against the prisoners. You know, when when he comes in, how they bait them to to force them to take jobs if they go to the church meeting and that kind of stuff. So they're really not understanding that a person's personal behavior cannot insulate them from this system. Most of these people do not understand that. And you got to take give it to them almost like elementary. I, I heard you talking to them, Max, and they heard your words, but they couldn't comprehend the meaning of what you were saying. That... Raising your child to be a religious and God-fearing person will not save you from the slave catcher. And I'll let it go from there.
2: Uh, You're absolutely right. And that was great insight, Otis. Thank you for uh, checking out the whole thing, as a matter of fact, and experience what I experienced, hearing what I heard. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And you're absolutely right. I need to be able to sit down with them like we were just proposing in a panel and, and present these things to them so they can see them. But even then, I think it would just be an initial change. Like, it'll open their minds for a short time, and then we have to keep going with it to to the point where maybe they need to listen to new abolitionist radio. They should be listening to new abolitionist radio.
0: Yeah, I was um, going to say that, you know, sometimes it's going to take more than one conversation. It might take several conversations. It might take a month. It might take a year. But I want, like you, to thank that person who invited you on there and is planning to do future broadcasts on the subject of abolitionism because that's what it's going to take. For some people, because, again, we are in a propaganda war. And so we we have to compete with those other messages that are being programmed into their mind. And there's just not a whole lot of abolitionist programming uh, that's being fed to the masses right now. But we hope to change that.
3: Well, the the only other thing I'll say is uh, another example was when Knox was explaining to him about uh, the rap that's going on on, on the radio. When he explained to them that uh, 750,000 sales and anything over that is white people buying it, they missed the whole point that Clear Channel owns stations that play for the white people the sanitized version with no cursing, but target black audiences with all of the words in the song. They don't really understand how money is pushing and driving the message to our people.
0: Yeah. Um, shout out to the people at Clear the Airways Project, Brother Kwabena Rasuli, who is um, a regular guest on Black Talk Radio News. And that's the mission of Clear the Airways Project is to clear the terrestrial radio airways of what we call murder music. Uh, this music that programs uh, people to hate each other. Uh, to engage in criminal activity, to disrespect women and and women are a part of that that industry too, but at at the end of the day, though, who's funding all of this? When you turn on a radio station in in Chicago, I don't care uh if it's owned by Kathy Hughes, so we have to call out our own as well. We have to clean up our own house. She operates a lot of radio stations that push that garbage, and she's on record of saying, well, it makes money okay and see that's the problem with black capitalism anything goes as long as it makes money and if white people can do it we should do it too well no I don't do everything just because another group is doing it I try to judge on whether or not it's something right something that I can do uh, using my moral compass so um yeah, they really didn't seem to understand that. I guess is that we most of the radio stations that's playing that garbage is is either iHeartRadio, Radio, which was formerly known as Clear Channel, but also look at who's advertising. Do y'all hear? Do y'all hear McDonald's um, being advertised on New Abolitionist Radio? No, but you will hear them on those killer radio stations as Quabina calls them. Do you hear Walmart on here? Uh, 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 underwriting the new abolitionist radio program. No, because Walmart knows they'll get called out for their use of prison slave labor and what have you. So they just don't understand. That person just did not seem to understand who's underwriting all of the things that he says is causing these problems and he wants to put it on black people where black people we do have to take responsibility for our actions but the predominant force is not us it's 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 white money white capitalism um you want to go ahead and uh get into some of our stories max not able to hear you max um, I will go here.
2: that statement on this Scotty because you did inspire it um, but one of the things that we have to like Otis said um, we're not the ones that drive this market and if you want people to put this poison out for our children you'll always find some all you gotta do is dangle some money out there and that's exactly what these industries have done so that, that was it Scotty
0: alright thank you Max let's jump into um some of our news stories, there's a couple of stories that caught my eye. Uh, let me check my microphone volume. I seem to be coming in a little low. Uh, let me go ahead and adjust that. All right, we're good there. All right, so the first thing that caught my eye, I'm going to go ahead and there are several stories um, that are related to the same issue uh the a c l u says that New Jersey prisons banning of the new New Jim Crow is unconstitutional. Now I learned from Max that they have reversed that decision that they will allow prisoners to continue to get copies of Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow, which is a good book. I just do not like how it popularized the phrase mass incarceration because it's not mass incarceration. It's a continuation of slavery. But outside of that, it is a good book that gives you an understanding that there is a profit motive to all of these people being put in prison. And so, you know, uh, shout out to the ACLU. I don't always agree with everything y'all do. Of course, I don't agree with anyone 100%, but I appreciate them taking up the case of those prisoners and getting the New Jersey prison's slavery system to reverse that ban on the new Jim Crow. Now, another related story, you have New York State prison package rules banning nutritious uh, food, and it's all to make money for corporations. I'm going to pull up this story from itsgoingdown.org. I want to thank our abolitionist comrade Tag for sharing this MBTR community. Um, it says the thugs who run the NYS prison system has issued a new directive 4911A that describes new draconian package rules that they are testing in three prisons as a pilot program. The directive comes in the wake of petty rule crackdowns after the escape of two prisoners from Clinton Prison in 2015. Reports have trickled in about long term prisoners losing their trailer visits. Hoodies being eliminated and even more bitterness on the part of the guards. This past fall, political prisoner Herman Bell was beat down by three or more guards. Others like Ramsey Order, that's the uh um uh, uh young man that filmed. The slave catcher murdering Eric Gardner in New York, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was Ramsey Order, uh, had to deal with transfer way upstate and have been assaulted by staff. Basically, staff thinks they can do what they want. Let me jump ahead to the rules. The new rules are horrible in so many ways, writes It's Going Down dot O-R-G. Packages can be ordered only from approved vendors, so basically some corporations will win out and have a guaranteed market to sell overpriced processed foods. Number two, fresh fruit and vegetables are not allowed. Number three, family and friends cannot drop off packages while visiting all packages must be shipped through a vendor. Number four, each person is limited to ordering three packages a month for him or herself and receiving three packages a month from others. Each package cannot be more than 30 pounds or the 30 pounds per package, only eight pounds can be food. Allowable items will be the same in all facilities, no more local permits. Number six, there are far fewer items allowed than before and of the items that are allowed, far less variety. This includes additional restrictions on clothing. Number seven, the pilot rules are not clear about how books, media, religious items and literature, or other items subject to First Amendment protection will be treated. This could mean that prison book programs like books through bars will not be able to send free books to the 52,000 people in the prison uh, system. Now, um, they say that we can organize to roll these rules back and they give a couple of ideals. Uh, A few of the ideals are sign the petition, share it with your address book, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook. It takes two seconds. We've shared the article. That's where you will find the petition. It also says get in touch with your people in NYS prisons and let them know about this. Inform them, send them the info. Massive non-cooperation on the part of NYS prisoners will have to play a huge role in this. People inside know how to make things unworkable. And three, flood the politicians with postcards and letters. Send one to Governor Cuomo and one to Anthony Anussi, the acting commissioner of the Department of Corrections in New York City, and they even give you some sample uh text and, and a couple of more um things. So, Max, before I, I, I uh mention this story about the Geo group and a so called Me Too movement in this private prison, did you have any commentary on the story I just shared? Uh,
2: well, actually, you talked about two stories, you went to the uh Michelle Ali, yeah, that was in New Jersey and then unbanned within only a couple of hours, and also about new uh, package deals that are going on. And i just like to point out, like we always do, that this is how they take you piecemeal. It's, it's just all of these companies sucking your life's blood away. You mentioned there's only five companies now that control this industry. So these five companies basically have their hand on this source of income from a captive audience. And this is the way that Uh, these prisons and slavery are used as economic development programs we are talk about the new Jim Crow situation but later on after we do our commercial
0: yeah I was going to say I'll save that geo uh, group prison story for the other side of the break so if you want to take us to break
2: Yes, Uh, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio, now at our new home online at newabolitionismovement.com. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: Radio Network for podcasts and live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome
2: back to New Adolescence Radio. We are going to get into our next story. Scotty Reed will be reading it. It's the Boca based prison operator Geo Group to pay $550,000 to
0: settle. Sexual harassment lawsuits. Well, before I get into some of the details of that, you had mentioned before the break that you had some comments about uh, the ban of Michelle Alexander's book, which was then quickly unbanned. Yes.
2: Well, I'd like to offer my opinion on, first of all, why they banned it. Uh, there is a big movement going on with this abolitionist movement, and a lot of it is happening behind bars. And everybody within the prison industrial complex is very much aware of it, particularly after the September 9th, 2017 uh, prison labor work strike. particularly after millions for prisoners march on Washington, D.C. And now with the upcoming January 15th uh, Operation Push in Florida prisons. So they know that these types of ideas are educating people on their circumstances, and they're unifying under the idea of abolition versus what they have been doing private previously. So I think that New Jersey banned those books because they don't want to have the same problems that Alabama's having, the same problems that South Carolina's having, the same problems that Florida's having and that California's having as these prisoners all across the country unify under the uh, banner of slavery abolition and taking that exception clause out of the 13th Amendment and freeing millions of people who are unjustly incarcerated and keeping them out. Uh, That is their bread and butter, and they're not interested in losing it. So they banned that book. And then the ACLU sent them this letter saying, what the hell is wrong with you? This is ironic, and it's ridiculous, and it's uh, constitutionally – it's a violation of the Constitution. And the New Jersey prisoners were like, look, we don't want to get this stuff out into the atmosphere. We don't want to be – have people coming and looking at what we're doing here, so let's just go ahead – and unbanned that book. It happened within a period of just a couple of hours where they made the announcement, got the letter, and then turned around and said, no, I second thought maybe we might, we might not want to do that.
0: Right, and it's I scary. agree. Uh, Frederick Douglass, I believe, is the one who said that education makes a person unfit to be a slave. And I would wow. say that, especially when you're educating people that slavery was never abolished, that Abraham Lincoln right. didn't do a damn thing and that, that's why you in prison slavery today. And no, they don't want them armed with that education because then they'd be unfit to be prison slaves. So I totally understand the logic behind banning that book. Um the next story, as Max read, the headline concerns the second largest private prison uh slaver company hey, 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 in, in the world. Before
2: you- I just
0: want to let you know I'm going to be offline for two minutes. I'll be right back. Okay. All right. So, um, he had mentioned that the Boca Raton based prison operator, Geo Group, this this company is the second largest of its type in the world, with Core Civic, formerly known as Correction Corporation of America, being the largest. I mean, what does that say? I, I get so sick of the propaganda about America being a land. What they say, the home of the free uh, land of the brave, whatever, you know, and you have right here based in the United States, the world's largest private prison companies exploiting people's labor. So this story comes to you. From the Sun Sentinel dot com, that's a Florida-based paper, and it says Boca based prison operator GEO Group to pay five hundred and fifty thousand dollars to settle a sexual harassment lawsuit. Boca Raton-based the GEO Group has agreed to pay five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, that's a little over half a million, to settle a sexual harassment lawsuit filed by the federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and Arizona's Attorney General. The lawsuit filed in 2010 concerned two geo-operated prisons, the Central Arizona Correctional Facility and Arizona State Prison Florence West Facility, both in Florence, Arizona. The EEOC and Arizona Attorney General's Office alleged that a male manager grabbed breasts and crotch of a female correctional officer and that a male employee forced a female employee onto a desk and kissed her. The alleged harassment also included male officers asking female officers for sex and supervisors and officers making sexually explicit comments to female officers. The lawsuits filed in U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona alleged that GEO retaliated against female employees who complained or sought, sought help by disciplining them, forcing them to quit, firing them, or placing them in unsafe conditions in the prison. The GEO Group, which owns and manages prisons throughout the country, I would say throughout the world, they they run the entire prison operation of the country, Australia, and is filled with Aborigines. Uh, the GEO Group, which owns and manages prisons throughout the country, released a statement Monday saying the company mandates zero tolerance towards all forms of sexual harassment in all its facilities, and noting that the allegations were from several years ago. As a result of the settlement, the GEO Group has implemented additional measures, including enhanced training, reporting, and monitoring said Pablo Paez, spokesman for GEO. In Florida, GEO operates prisons in Deerfield Beach, South Bay, Moorhaven, Panama City, Graceville, and Milton, according to the company's website. GEO has agreed to review its Equal Employment Opportunity policies to ensure that all complaints of sexual harassment and retaliation are immediately and thoroughly investigated. They are also required to designate certain alleged harass as ineligible for rehire, post notices of the consent decree in its Florence facilities and conduct anti-discrimination training, according to the settlement. There were 16 women um, who will be provided for in this half a million dollar settlement by the GEO group. And so look, sexual harassment, sexual assault, Rate whatever is wrong, and it's wrong no matter who you do it to. But at the same time, the Geo Group has a whole lot of stuff going on—human rights abuses that these employees participate in. Okay, so I'm not on here to to blame these sixteen women. I don't know these sixteen women, but. I just find it hard to drum up any kind of sympathy for people who take jobs as slavers, man. You know, I I just, hey, I'm looking at what you're doing to human beings and then I'm looking at what's happening to you as a human being and I'm calling, you know, the, the spiritual rule of reap what you sow, okay? You can't abuse other people. Stand by and and turn the other cheek or look the other way when you see someone being abused in these facilities and you're working as a guard and you're charged with their safety as well as your own, but you're charged with, with their safety and then when we know that males, again, I don't want to genderize this, but males are the most raped in this country. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that, but they are the most raped in this country because of prison rape. And 60% of the prison rapes are committed by guards. Uh, We also told you a couple of weeks ago about a lawsuit that has been going on for a couple of years involving teens who were placed in adult facilities and were raped. Mainly black and brown teen boys were raped in these prisons. And again, guards also participated in their rapes, including female guards participated in the rapes of these young men. And and when you have that kind of power dynamic, it's rape. Can, a, a slave cannot consent to sex as people try to whitewash uh, the raping of Sally Hemming by Thomas Jefferson, And and say, Oh, she consented and she was his lover and it was this romantic thing going on. Look, a slave cannot consent. All right. So it's rape. It's rape. And and that's going on in these prisons. So, you know, again, I do not support sexual harassment, assault against anyone. I'm a I respect everyone's human rights. And these women should not be subjected to such treatment on, on in these jobs. But again, I just find it hard to have sympathy for slavers. Max?
2: Well, the GEO group is exploiting all of what's going on in every single way. Uh, And, uh, you know, I've got sympathy for anybody that's being assaulted and abused. But at the same time, as you said, uh, they're a part of a system of evil. Like, really, it's very simple to understand. Prison for profit uh, creates a demand for what? Prisoners. And these prisons. Refer to people as product Because that's what they are And they sell them on the open market In the form of prison stocks and jail bonds Another news story That came out about the GEO group Is where they're bragging about how much money They're going to make under the Trump administration Uh, Particularly out there In uh, Boca Raton Based prison The GEO group said it expects To benefit from Trump's administration Crackdown on illegal immigration Uh, But so far they have been lower than expected populations in detention centers designated to house undocumented immigrants. And ICE and the Department of Homeland Security have issued requests for proposals for new illegal immigration detention sites in the greater Chicago, Detroit, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Salt Lake City, Utah areas. So they're building these prisons expecting to fill 7,000 more beds. Uh, And when they talk about beds, you got to realize how much it costs to fill those beds, which is another story that I, I wanted to touch on during the show uh, in regards to what's happening right now in Maryland. Scotty?
0: Scotty Reed? Yes, Max. I, I don't have anything further, so if you want to go into another story, that's cool.
2: Well, yeah, let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, the story about what's happening in Maryland is is pretty amazing, and I want to make sure that we get this information out so people understand. Uh, they think it's bad, but it is really much worse than you thought it, it might be. And we just found out uh, last week during this cold snap, what did they call it, Scotty, a, a bomb something or another, bomb storm or, or bomb blizzard or whatever it was being called, In Maryland, particularly in Baltimore, the schools were without heat, and they did not close the schools down. They had these children. You saw the images of them in these schools with their winter coats on, hunched up and freezing, literally, in the schools. Uh, Basically, uh, apparently they can't have the foresight or the uh, finances to be able to provide heat in these public schools. But nonetheless, they also announced just recently that they just spent $35 million to build a juvenile detention facility that only houses 60 children. Now, why would they spend $35 million to house 60 children when they can't afford to put heat in schools for the children that are already there?
0: They can afford it, Max. I mean, don't say they can't afford it. They can afford to do whatever they want to do. They can allocate the money to whatever they want to allocate it to. It's about priorities, and they have prioritized... Putting little children in the prison slavery in in relation to hey that's more important than making sure these children have a a um you know warm environment literally you know to uh, study so there you go they can afford it right it is about priorities it really shows you what Maryland is all about but what uh, I
2: was going to say is one of the things people may not realize is the actual cost of incarcerating a youth. In the state of Maryland, in this whole country, there is only one other state that charges more per child per year than Maryland, and that's New York. In New York, it's $353,000 a year to incarcerate a teenager. In Maryland, it's $295,285 a year. So if you got 60 children generating $300,000 each a year, just multiply that annually Times ten years, and look at the money that generated is being generated by this bounty on your children's heads. They don't need more than sixty. Each one's
3: worth three hundred thousand dollars.
2: I can't, not for the life of me, see I any scenario real. where that type of uh, cost for incarceration can be justified when all you're spending is ten thousand a year to educate them you're spending nothing on recreation or prevention you're spending nothing on teen centers nothing on uh, educational programs that could keep them from these circumstances but you can't wait for them to do something wrong or even get caught allegedly doing something wrong because that's worth three hundred thousand dollars
0: Tell you, man, this is a one six society. It, I, there's no other way to explain it other than maybe evil, yeah. So, I'm not surprised by that, Max. And, and I'm not sure of the city council makeup and who made those decisions, but the mayor is black, she's a black woman, and so again. We have to approach these issues locally. That is why the mission of the Black Talk Media Project, which I really want to keep talking about, we've been on air nine years as a black independent platform. That was not the vision. The vision does not did not end there. We need radio stations and community media centers right there in that community in Baltimore to bring the people in that area, the abolitionist perspective and, and give them an opportunity to talk to each other, network with each other with one of our stations uh facilitating that conversation. But these are things that have to be attacked locally. Okay. Because who's paying for that? Who's paying for this? new The taxpayers are paying for that. The citizens of that, of that state are paying for that. So if you don't, Express yourself through the vote and not just by voting, but then following up and going to these city council meetings or calling these people on the phone and say, Hey, what? What? Wait a minute. What's wrong with y'all? We sent these children to school last week. Y'all didn't even have. You know, the decency to just cancel school until y'all get the heating situation uh, fixed. And you're saying we can't afford to heat all the buildings, but yet you can afford to build this multi-million dollar prison. Now, something's wrong with that. So, again, man, we, while our national platform is important. It is more important that we organize our media on a local level as well to inform the people about this sort of stuff and, and light some fire under their feet. If that would need to be, sometimes you need a rabble, a rabble rouser or two to get people, you know, out their seats.
2: Scotty, uh, just for one year, that facility is going to generate through those 60 children, uh, 180 million dollars, and in 10 years it's going to be worth 1.8 billion dollars. That's how much money it will have generated just from a 35 million dollar investment. I can't think of stocks doing better than that. I mean, you invest 35 billion, and in 10 years you get 1.8 billion back. So that's going so where that money annoying... comes
0: from. That's just going to be going to prison overseer salaries and and what have you and and to the vendors and, and and what we just got through talking about what's going on in New York New York State. So it's not going to like I was mentioning earlier today, um, as we were playing some music in between uh, Tanya Free and Friends show and Tando Radio show, but I had mentioned that Unicorn. Own, a private prison run and owned and managed by the U.S. government generates an annual profit of $1 billion a year. Where is that money going to? Is it going to the Social Security Fund? Is it going to the SNAP program or any other social services for poor people? Where, I still don't know where this $1 billion annually is going. But, I, you know, and I'm saying that to say, With this new prison, you're talking about the money is supposed to generate by incarcerating uh, just 60 children over a certain amount, a number of years. Again, it's not generating any money that's going to be reinvested into some heat for the children in the school, into some playgrounds, into some after school. Uh, programs to some tutoring programs to anything to some jobs training program no that's going to go straight into the pockets of those who profit uh by being employed uh by the system
2: yeah man it's uh it's mind blowing There is nothing you could tell me or anybody could tell me to justify that expense i don't care what you provide you you need to be providing these children with solid gold toilet bowls for it to be three hundred thousand dollars a year. They need to be getting the best educations in the world because there ain't no education I can think of that costs more than $300,000 a
0: year per child per year. Say so they, they ought to be coming out with Harvard, as Harvard grads or something, man. Right, right. So, you know, they, what they're doing is they, they, they're creating this
2: economic development program for certain communities using our children. As the source As as the money maker And the money comes directly From the taxpayers Which is so ironic Because you're paying For your children's enslavement Okay Man And you know In the meantime We got people like this Representative out uh, Republican Representative Steve Alford Who you spoke of recently Out there telling people About how blacks Are genetically disposed To be screwed up By marijuana I mean I I couldn't believe I heard this dude Saying this in 2017 At the same time That Jeff Sessions Is now pushing harder On uh, criminalizing Marijuana to the point where he's challenging State rights I had to wonder Scotty Will there come a point where the state Will uh, pull out the state's National Guard in order to Defend local businesses And and local customers and local Taxpayers against these Racist uh, criminalized coming in there to arrest people in the state where it has been legalized.
0: Well, Max, this is often uh, a confusing issue for people in the black community, and I say the black community is because that's where my ear is tuned in to. I mean, I do gather intelligence on, on people outside of our community, but the conversation among black people is either the government is behind it. I mean, you can't have it both ways. They're saying the government is behind this. They're trying to get people to smoke weed and, and all this and that, and they're pushing it, and, and, and you know, a whole bunch of reasons that are given. But then on the flip side of that, we got this story where the federal government is, telling, is ignoring states' rights and saying, y'all, voters um, voted to legalize cannabis for medicinal or recreational. We don't think it's a good... Uh, use of our resources to be throwing people into prison slavery for using a plant that mankind has used for tens of thousands of years and it has medicinal benefits and And even if they're just smoking it recreationally you know well, well how is that any different from the alcohol sales and what have you so I, I'm like depending upon who you talk to in the black community man there are different reasons the government is either against this uh, this weed business that's popping up or they're behind it, uh, you know, so go figure You know, I, I
2: put out the video, the original commercial video for the film Reefer Madness and if you were to look at it today in 2018 you'll know exactly what it was all about It is so clear, clear as day It's only like two minutes long If anybody wants to see it, it's available both On our community page As well as our Facebook New Abolitionist radio page Uh, But it's just amazing To see why they criminalized it And how the propaganda worked then Just like they're using the same exact propaganda now Uh, You remember Nixon? Why he said he started his war on drugs It was so they could criminalize the anti-war protesters And the blacks They could uh, associate the blacks with heroin and the uh, anti-war protesters with marijuana and they go into their communities and disrupt their communities and arrest their leadership. That was what it was all about by the admission of his very own administration.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. But it's primarily used, again, to put people in slavery. All the people that's in slavery, the vast majority of them are in there for cannabis-related crimes, not murder, not rape, not robbery, cannabis, either they were selling some weed or they were smoking some weed. That's the majority of your prisoners right there, and I don't know, but but my my conscience or my mind tells me that hey i don't it's none of my business what people consume when it start harming me, then I need to worry about it. But if a person want to consume this, that, or the other, as long as it doesn't violate the rights of another human being, then what is this putting them into slavery, arresting them and putting them into slavery? Again, it's all about slavery. Slavery is the number one job creator in this country. You know, uh, if you don't got slavery, you don't got a bunch of slave catchers. You might actually have some peace officers, you know, instead of cops, you know, Uh, uh, you don't have all of these prisons being built, costing hundred or a hundred million dollars or more or tens of millions of dollars to put sixty children into a detention facility, you know, so so yeah, man. It all it has been used as a tool to disrupt people's lives, man. Yeah, in two
2: thousand and sixteen the reports came out that there were more arrests for marijuana, simple marijuana possession, than there were for all violent crimes combined. All of them combined. Over 800,000 arrests just on marijuana possession, simple possession alone, and that is absolutely ridiculous. That's what it sounds like when you're criminalizing a culture or people, when you start uh, you know, putting them in prisons and jails or going through these fines and fees and bails processes over a harmless plant. Now, man... And- pretending like it's the most dangerous thing in the world. Like that reaper is going to kill you. Y'all better watch out. It's a gateway drug. Next thing you know you'll be snorting glue or, you know, shooting heroin and and on and on and on.
0: Yeah, just think about, though, the man hours and the money that was behind all of those cannabis. Simple cannabis possession arrests. And do you think that that those man hours and that money would have been better uh, spent directed towards solving violent crimes. I mean, a number of these states they got rape kits that have not even been tested because they don't have a priority of solving these rapes. Their priority is is going after these these people who are affected by reefer madness or whatever. So it, it's just crazy priorities, man. Priorities. For new listeners, people that are just
2: tuning in, maybe never heard New Abolitionist Radio before. We want to make it clear that what we're talking about with the slavery deal is uh, what is allowed through the 13th Amendment Exception Clause of the United States Constitution, which says slavery shall be abolished in the United States and all its territories, except for prisoners duly convicted. Using that exception clause, exploiting that exception clause has literally become the backbone of this country's finances. Uh, we've estimated that it's as much as a, a half a trillion dollars every year, just from the United States, slave trade alone. And that uh, system, this model of prison for profit that we've created here in the United States, using this 13th Amendment exception clause, has now expanded across the globe to places uh, like Turkey and Ghana and all across uh, Africa. As a matter of fact, like all across Africa, Africa right now uh, through G4S, G4S is the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa, and that's a prison company, a freaking prison company. So. It's really expanded all over the globe. Australia is fully private prisons now. The the GEO group, I believe, is who they have their contract with. And the GEO group is also the people that have provided the facilities for Haitian immigrants. So we're in Guantanamo Bay. So when you start thinking of these horrendous scenes in these immigration centers, that's the GEO group. The same people that are providing youth detention facilities.
0: Hmm. Max, we up against another break if we want to go into break and just to let uh, you know i do need to get off about five minutes at least five minutes to the top of the hour so i can reset the conference line for mind body and spirit so it doesn't shut down on the ladies
2: okay so we'll clear it uh, off a few minutes earlier today um so we'll go to break now then yes sir all right, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on our new uh, website, which is newabolitionistmovement.com. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: 8. The Black Talk Media Project launched the digital radio platform Black Talk Radio Network, the first such platform created to serve the black community specifically. Black Talk Radio Network has grown with a variety of radio hosts, digital radio stations, and podcasters. Web analytics say Black Talk Radio, the platform, has an online reach that ranks it among the top independent black media platforms in the world. All of this is possible because of financial contributions to the non-profit Black Talk Media Project. If you Love the work we do and the voices and perspectives we bring to you every day. Make a donation today to ensure that Black Talk Radio is here in the future. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium.
2: Jason, welcome back to New Adorationist Radio. Uh, Scotty, did you have any story that you certainly want to cover tonight uh, before we move into our final segments? Because I did have a couple.
0: No, that was it. Um, the G.O. group sexual harassment lawsuit uh, that they settled, and then the book bannings and and the other story about the New York state prisons coming out with this draconian uh, list prohibiting what prisoners and um, can receive and how their families interact.
3: All right, no
2: doubt. well, there's some of the stories there's three of them, and I'm gonna uh, go through these real quick. The first one is a story that comes from Mother Jones, and it's called North Dakota's Norway Experiment. What they were doing, apparently, was taking correctional administrators here from the United States on a trip to Norway so they could see how their prison industries are operated. And it has been literally changing people's lives, changing these corrections industry specialists' lives because they're going over there seeing just how bad they are in the United States how what they're doing is cruel and inhumane and, and just a crime against humanity in comparison to what's happening in Norway. So that story is certainly worth uh, reading, and there's a couple a video that we'll provide on it as well. Uh, the other thing is I want to remind everyone that uh, the Operation Push prison work stoppage called for Martin Luther King Jr. Day in Florida Uh, prisons is on and happening on the 15th of this month. It's only five days away. Florida prisoners are going to put down their tools or whatever it is that they use to work for pennies on the dollar or for free and not do it. And they have not offered a end date for their strike. So it's going to apparently be prolonged. So if you know anyone within the Florida prison system, let them know that operation push occurs on the 15th of this month where you will no longer uh, be working, doing anything for free. And uh, that's to protest slave labor, is to protest price gouging, to protest the loss of parole and inhumane conditions in Florida prisons where there are so many people being killed by guards that the Florida State uh, Prison System had to create a website to list the hundreds of people who have mysteriously died in these Florida prisons. So that's another thing I want you to be aware of. And the last one is there's a story that just came out about three guards out in California who are convicted of second-degree murder. Scotty, I just put the video, which is only two minutes long, at the very bottom of our planning page. If you want to pull it up, Uh, I just want to give a quick um, explanation why you pull that up. I have it. All right. We know that just in 2017, there was about 1,200 people who were killed by police, according to data provided by uh, The Guardian and killed by police. So around 1,200 people were killed by police. But what you may not be aware of is that that number is, uh, if not doubled, tripled in the jails and prisons themselves. So here's a case where three guards uh, recently been convicted, a second-degree murder of murdering a mentally ill inmate in Santa Clara County Jail.
6: REACTION COMING IN AFTER A GUILTY VERDICT IN THE TRIAL OF THREE SANTA CLARA COUNTY JAIL GUARDS. LATE TODAY, THEY WERE CONVICTED IN THE BEATING DEATH OF A MENTALLY ILL INMATE. KPX 5'S mira IS WITH A REACTION OUTSIDE THE COURTHOUSE A SHORT TIME AGO. LEN? WELL, IT WAS A VERY DRAMATIC FINALE TO THIS TRIAL. THE THREE CORRECTIONAL DEPUTIES ALL FOUND GUILTY OF SECOND DEGREE MURDER FOR THE KILLING OF MENTALLY ILL INMATE MICHAEL TYREE. NOW, THE JURY, uh, did make that decision this afternoon. It was a very packed courtroom filled with the wives and the family members of the three uh, deputies, now former deputies. Uh, during the reading of the verdicts, uh, there were tears, people crying from the uh, family members. The three defendants, all dressed in suits, were then immediately remanded into custody by the bailiffs, taken back inside the jail where this all began in August of 2015. The coroner's report said Michael Tyree died of internal injuries after being beaten inside his jail cell. Now, the case pointed out glaring problems within the jail system and resulted in several reforms that are still ongoing, such as cameras that are in the jail now.
5: We're proud that justice was
6: served and that those that are culpable are behind bars. It's a sad day when law enforcement officers are convicted when those who are sworn to uphold the law and protect others instead choose to victimize and in this case, kill a mentally ill inmate. So it's a very sad day. Uh, It's a day of justice, but it's a day of sadness. The jury hung on counts two and three of the case, which had to do with the beating of a separate inmate, so the judge declared a mistrial on uh, those counts. A second-degree murder conviction, though, could result in a prison term of 15 years to life for each of the three defendants involved. They were taken here into Santa Clara County Jail, but because of their status as uh, correctional deputies, now former correctional deputies, they will likely be housed in a neighboring jail facility, such as the Santa Rita Jail in Alameda County, until their sentencing, Which is on September 15th. Reporting live in San Jose, Len Ramirez, KPIX5.
2: Wow. My heart goes out to the family of the victim, and I'm happy to hear that these criminals will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Murderers, murderers,
0: man.
2: Perspective Uh, for everyone listening, I mentioned earlier that the statistics, and I think these are underrepresented say that 1,200 people a year are being killed by police, and I mentioned that in the prisons themselves, it's triple that. We're talking about 45,000 people dying at the hands of police and prison guards in a single day, uh, decade if these trends continue as is. 45,000 deaths is what we're talking about in a single decade, and something has to be done about that. In other nations, like in Europe and maybe in Britain, they might kill three people in the whole year. And here we're talking about 45,000 bodies in a single decade if things just stay the same and we already know they'll increase.
0: Yeah, um, very rare that we come across these stories where you get a conviction. And I have to ask the question, I wonder if the victim being a white male had something to do with the jury being able to bring itself to convict these slavers. Um, Because oftentimes, you know, we see because we live in a racist society, people program through media with racism every day. I just find it hard to believe that if this was a black person and the charges where they had a hung jury on that was related to another prisoner. I bet you he was a person of color. I don't know if he was black, if he was Hispanic or or what. Now, I'm speculating, but, you know, that's just how I see it. Another thing that this story uh, brings to my mind. I was watching the Jimmy Dore show, which is a political commentary show. The guy's like a comedian, but he talks seriously about politics and it's a YouTube channel. And they did a segment um, and they were talking about MSNBC and they were talking about corruption in the media, but they got off on a side topic and they were saying that MSNBC makes a lot of money more than any other programming in their program line up on lockup. And that's like the cops. You know, y'all hear the other show Cops where they follow these cops around on the street and what have you. Well, they're inside the prisons too. Filming. And, the, and MSNBC is making millions of dollars from corporate advertisers for that program. That, I mean, come on, man. Now, uh, people, well, I imagine that victims of slavery have always been entertainment for the dominant population, and now it just continues in, in in a in a form in an electronic form where you got millions of people tuning in to these programs. Now, ain't none of these prisoners getting paid for their appearance? I bet you they didn't sign any kind of waiver, and like they mentioned on Jimmy Dore's show, this is a violation of human rights. This is exploitation of these people. And and that yes. bring that just came to my mind when they mentioned, oh, one of the reforms is we're gonna bring cameras in. Well, I could see y'all using those cameras to create another doggone, you know, prison slavery entertainment uh, program or something, man. But that is something that the new abolitionist movement needs to take up is the slave catcher programs and where they're going into the prisons and, and providing the populace with entertainment at the expense of victims of prison slavery we gotta yeah, boycott these TV networks shows. or something
2: we have so many of these shows like 60 Days In for example and you're right Scotty it's the equivalent of a big budget studio creating a movie but not paying any of the actors so they're getting the free actors, you know, and uh, it is exploitation, and it's a human rights violation, and uh, it should not be allowed. Scotty, we're running short on time, so we need to get into our final segments. Was there any particular one of those segments that you wanted to cover this evening? Uh, and I'll take another one. We'll just go back and forth.
0: Okay. I will start it off. Um yeah, I'll start it off with our abolitionist in profile. Let me go ahead and open that up. Thank you to blackpast.org for posting this profile of Sherrod Lewis Leary, 1835 to 1859. Uh, Lewis Leary was one of several black men who were killed during John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry Arsenal in October of 1859. It was a defining moment in African-American history. Born Sherrod Lewis Leary, sometimes referred to as Lewis Sheridan Leary, he was the second of five children born in Fayetteville, North Carolina, to free black parents. His father, Matthew Leary, a saddle maker, was the mixed-race son of Jeremiah O'Leary, a descendant of Irish immigrants. His mother, Julia A. a Minareo Leary, was of mixed-race with conflicting accounts of her heritage. Frustrated with Southern racism, 21-year-old Leary moved to Oberlin, Ohio, in 1856, where he earned a living as a harness maker. It was no coincidence that Leary found a more hospitable environment at Oberlin. Members of his extended family lived in the area, including his nephew, John Anthony Copeland, Jr., who also participated in the Harper's Ferry Raid. Located in Lorain County, southwest of Cleveland, Oberlin was at the time home to a concentrated network of black and white ab. Abolitionist and served as an important site on the Underground Railroad. The town was also the site of Oberlin College, the first interracial and co-educational college in the country. Two years after moving to Oberlin, he married Mary Sampson Patterson, and they had one daughter, uh, Lois. Uh, Leary quickly became involved in the town's abolitionist movement, joining the Oberlin Anti-Slavery Society. He participated in the Oberlin-Wellington slave rescue, in which he assisted John Price. A runaway victim of slavery. After a dramatic effort to keep Price from federal marshals, the rescuers helped him cross the border to Canada and freedom. 37 men were arrested and indicted for violating the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850. Charges were dropped against Leary and most of those arrested. Soon after, Leary and Copeland joined white abolitionist John Brown's effort to engineer an armed rebellion of victims of slavery at Harper's Ferry Arsenal in Cleveland, Ohio. On October the 6th, 1859, Leary and Copeland left Oberlin for Cleveland and arrived nine days later at John Brown's headquarters, a farmhouse near Harper's Ferry. The attack on the arsenal began the following evening and Leary, Copeland, and John Henry Caggai found themselves cut off from the others. As they attempted to escape, they were fired upon. Cag uh, guy was killed instantly. Leary was severely wounded and would die a day later. Copeland escaped injury but was later hanged. It is not known what happened to Leary's body. Two months after the raid, residents of Oberlin conducted a memorial service for the three residents who had died in the conflict, Leary, Copeland, and Shields Green. After his death, Leary's wife, Mary, married Charles Henry Langston and moved to Kansas. They had a daughter, Carolyn Mercer Langston, who later married James Hughes. The couple became the parents of the Harmland Renaissance poet, Langston Hughes. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes Sharad Lewis Leary. Max. Sorry about that. I had myself on mute.
2: Salute, man, to the great great grandparents of Langston Hughes, who were abolitionists. And you know, Scotty, nowadays some of the rhetoric we hear, those people of mixed descent who uh, endured that are uh, not even considered black in uh, a number of circles. Amazingly, so as if they did not experience that. And you know, I was have uh, visited those sites in Ohio and spoke with the people of Ohio. There, there's a strong abolitionist movement in that area where we'll be working out of in the future. All right, well, let me move on to our next one, which is For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion. And today we are remembering the Creole case. In the fall of 1841, the Brig Creole, which was owned by Johnson & Epperson Company of Richmond, Virginia, transported 135 slaves from Richmond for sale to New Orleans, Louisiana. The Creole has left Richmond with 103 enslaved people and picked up another 32 in Hamptons Roads, Virginia. Most of the enslaved were owned by Johnson and Epperson. but 26 were owned by Thomas McCargo, a slave trader who was one of the Creole's passengers. The ship also carried tobacco, a crew of 10, the captain's wife, daughter, and niece, four passengers, including slaves, including slave traders, and eight black slaves of the traders. Madison Washington, an enslaved man who escaped to Canada in 1840 at the age. Of 25, but was later captured and sold when he returned to Virginia in search of his wife Susan, was among those being shipped for sale to New Orleans on November 7, 1841. Washington and 18 other male slaves and enslaved individuals rebelled, overwhelming the crew and killing John R. Howell, one of the slave traders. The captain of of the ship. Robert Ensor was also wounded in the uprising. One of the enslaved people was badly wounded and later died. Some of the crew members were wounded but also, also but survived. The rebels took overseer William Merritt at his word that he would navigate for them. They first demanded that the ship be taken to Liberia. When Merritt told them that the voyage was impossible because of the shortage of food or water, another rebel, Ben Blacksman, that they should be taken to the British West Indies. As he knew, the slaves from the Hermosa had gained their freedom the previous year under a similar uh, circumstance. On November 9, 1841, the Creole reached Nassau, where it first was boarded by the Harbor Pilot and his crew, all local black Bohemians. They told the American slaves that under British law, they were free, and then advised them to go ashore at once. As Captain Ensor was badly wounded, the Bohemian quarantine officer took first mate uh, Zephaniah Gifford to inform the American consul of the events. At the consul's request, the British governor of the Bahamas ordered a group to board the Creoles to prevent the escape of the men implicated in Hewell's death. The British took Washington and 18 conspirators in custody under charges of mutiny While the rest of the enslaved were allowed to live as free people, five people, which included three women, a girl, and a boy, decided to stay aboard the Creole and sailed with the ship to New Orleans, returning to slavery. On April 16, 1842, the Admiral Court in Nassau ordered the surviving 17 mutineers to be released and free, including Washington. In total, 128 enslaved people gained their freedom, which made the Creole Mutiny the most successful slave revolt in U.S. history. And here at New Abolitionist Radio, we remember you and salute you.
0: Salute, salute. Now, we come to our final segment before we reach our final comments for tonight. Um, Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad uh, is a man who was... Recently freed just last year, at the end of last year, after a DNA test, California man freed from prison in a 1978 double murder. A man wrongfully convicted in California of the 1978 double murder of a woman and her child is spending his first Thanksgiving Day free. As a free man in thirty nine years after being released on the basis of DNA evidence. California Governor Jerry Brown pardoned seventy year old Craig Coley on Wednesday, and prison officials quickly set him free, according to prosecutors and police in Simi Valley, where the double slain occurred. Local authorities in Simi Valley, a community just outside Los Angeles, supported the governor's decision. The grace with which Mr. Cooley has endured or Coley, I should say, has endured his lengthy and unjust incarceration is extraordinary, Brown wrote in the two page document ordering Coley's release. I grant this pardon because mister Crowley did not commit these crimes. More than 350 people have been exonerated by DNA testing in the United States since 1989, according to New York-based The Innocence Project, which helps people who were wrongfully convicted. On average, convicts who were freed had served 14 years in prison when exonerated. Coley was convicted in the 1978 murder of his ex-girlfriend, Rhonda Witch. And her four-year-old son, Donald, at the apartment where the mother and child live. She was beaten and strangled, and the boy was smothered to death, Simi Valley Police said in a statement on Monday. Coley, who had recently broken up with Witch, was arrested the day the bodies were discovered. Coley had no criminal history may have been framed, Brown wrote in the pardon. In 1980, Coley was convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole. He always maintained his innocence, and the governor said that in prison, Coley turned to religion and avoided gangs. After he appealed to Brown for clemency, the, order, the governor ordered a review in 2015. Um, it goes on to say, that reviewing the case in light of new evidence, we no longer have confidence in the weight of the evidence used to convict Mr. Coley, semi Valley police and Ventura County prosecutors said in a joint statement, they called the case tragic and pledged to continue reviewing it to determine if they can establish who killed the mother and child 39 years ago. And new abolitionist radio welcomes Craig Coley to freedom
2: welcome to freedom brother they stole your entire life and you're 70 years old but you're free you're out of there all right scotty that uh, concludes our final segment and now we go into our final comments for the evening i want to say thank you to our callers who are calling in uh and sharing your insight and awareness of what's going on and trading in any way with this movement uh scotty
0: Yes, I want to thank everyone who called in and shared their thoughts on the topic of modern day slavery and human trafficking. Um, if you are looking to convince someone that slavery was never abolished, I would recommend you pull up the 13th Amendment because it says it right there. It's, it's in plain English for everyone to see. I believe even a person with an eighth grade reading level could, would determine that slavery was never abolished when they read that document and they will stop referring to it as mass incarceration and instead refer to its correct name, and that is slavery.
2: Yes, sir. Uh, Is that your final comments for the evening? Would you like to add anything else?
0: No, that's it, Max.
2: All right. Uh, Well, Scotty, I I guess I'm going to keep mine simple as well. You know, we've been hearing a lot of rhetoric as of late about people running for president Like Oprah And Michelle Obama And I, even you know, a couple of weeks ago It was The Rock that was talking about Running for president And I just want to say that anybody at all Anybody who has shown themselves To be completely ignorant Of the 13th Amendment's exception clause And for-profit Private prisons And prison for profit And all of the uh, things that we fight here Against every day Uh, Should not be allowed to run for office at all So if you see them up there Talking from their podiums about what they're going to do And they're not talking about ending slavery You should shame them publicly Because see, we here know At New Abolitionist Radio And throughout this new abolitionist movement That the tension is getting thick And eventually, abolition will be a reason for a revolution So we can finally know some peace Peace
1: Rise up 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 just lift your eyes up Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up. up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children.
3: When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing right.